Welcome everyone to episode 37 of the Brandon Adams podcast. I have with me my good friend, Peter Jennings. Peter, how's it going? Great. Uh, BA, it's always fun to see you. Although normally uh, we're together on like a mountain trip or something, uh, doing fun things, but happy to be Zooming with you. And uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Well, it seems like you don't do many podcasts these days. Uh, You're well-practiced in the Denver circles. You go by Peter podcast among, among some, how many podcasts a week are you doing lately? I don't do many podcasts anymore, which is a a nice change after action network, uh, where I was probably doing, I was doing a golf one every week and other content for big sporting events. It's nice to not be doing as much. I've done a couple, uh, within crypto. I do, uh, some Twitter spaces, which actually I think is a really good, uh, medium for some great conversations and just, you know, insights, alpha, things of that nature. So, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm still an avid podcast listener. I, I listen, I consume a ton of content, um, in particular, the all in podcast and, uh, invest like the best are probably the two I, I religiously listen to the most. I don't know if you saw in my timeline, but I was making a push to get the, someone from the all in podcast on, on my pod. I'm, I'm a huge fan. I've listened to everyone. I'll attend the all in summit in Miami. Uh, oh yeah. Hopefully, hopefully I'll get one of those guys to to come on the podcast. I, I I just wanted to discuss the trajectory of the pod and how they made it to what it is. It's amazing, and uh, I bet you're a pretty big favorite to play poker with them one of these days. I don't know if you've ever been fortunate enough to be in the same same place, but I know they play some of the uh, poker after dark, poker go things, and um, yeah, they have a big bond between poker and some other things. Sounds like you know early days they were talking about some golf gambling trips. I mean. I think we're, you know, we have similar interests to those guys. I've played poker with Tremont. Great. Yeah. Uh, we discussed golf gambling. Um, seems like he doesn't do much of that anymore. It, I'm out of commission for golf and tennis. I have tennis elbow. I'm getting a plasma replacement therapy procedure tomorrow. Oh, no. That is yeah. the worst news of the day for me. BA. I hope I hope you heal up quickly. Yeah, I've been out of commission for three weeks. Oh, that's no fun. I was doing weights along with the tennis, and that that seemed to seem to be the killer. Yeah, our mutual friends uh, Adam Levitan, Stephen Bass are playing quite a bit of tennis now, and uh, Jonathan Marsico's in the mix. And uh, seems like we might have a big bet between Marsico and Adam Levitan straight up. So. Some good, some good tennis here in Colorado uh, is going on. Straight up, yeah, I think those two straight up. It seems like it's pretty, pretty close. Uh, both Levitan and 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 John think they're favorites, but uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'll take I'll take Levitan on that one. Okay, all right. Seems seems close. I think Steve is Steve. Steve was originally on the John side, and and he may be switching more towards Adam, but we'll see. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. But Adam has a gear where he just gets everything in, and that's that's what's going to win. And he should yeah. have better cardio. He has he has much better cardio, and he has a great forehand. His his big weakness is his back end. And Steve's actually helped him. Uh, Steve and Adam played some, and um, yeah, especially if Adam can take the ball on the rise uh, and get on top of the ball a little bit more uh, on his forehand side, he's he's got a real weapon over there. So we'll see. John's got good eye hand, better net player, probably better serve, but we'll see what happens. So I want to start with Lucky Trader. I've been uh, browsing around a decent bit. 
Um, how big is the current staff of LuckyTrader.com? Yeah, we're about 20 people right now. Uh, I think, you know, between contractors and, and full-time employees, we're over that number, but about 20 is, is right. Um, and yeah, it's exciting. Um, the The year has just been crazy. I mean, I, <laughs> I can't believe uh, we're still in 2021. It feels like we've, this year's feel, felt like five years to me or something. A um, lot of pivots, a lot of different directions that we've gone with Lucky Trader, but I think we're starting to hit our stride now, which is exciting. So, okay, take take me through the timeline of NFTs in your in your mind. Uh, when was your first NFT purchase? Mine, I believe, was on January fifth. It was a Top Shot moment. Okay, that um, was the date that Top Shot started, right? That was the first drop. No, no, no. Top Shot had been going on for a while, and NFTs have been around for a while. Um, but Top Shot really started to gain some momentum. I would say December of 2020 is when it started to gain a lot of momentum. Maybe you could argue November. Um, I actually was on a call with some other people who are in the traditional sports card market um, talking about how Top Shot could be a really cool play. And yeah, I started dabbling around and then um, it just kind of clicked that this could be something really cool. And I think it was a convergence of uh, things I'm already interested in, um, sports, crypto, and then of course, speculation. So <laughs> I thought it was likely to be very, you know, a lot of these things I think uh, have significant downside. You should expect a lot of them to go to zero, but the asymmetry was attractive to me. So the first CryptoPunks in 2017, would you have like known people that were in in 2017? Um, I actually know people who got in and claimed free ones, but I I never actually talked to them, um, which is crazy. So I wish I would have known about uh, CryptoPunks in 2017, but I first noticed them around the same time. And actually, uh, I remember like showing my wife and my friends like, oh, I bought this cool LeBron James, you know, high end NBA Top Shot NFT. At least I'm not the idiot buying the the pixel over there for 200,000 or whatever it was. And uh, boy, at least at this moment in time, I was pretty wrong on uh pretty wrong on that initial assessment that I had of CryptoPunks, I guess. So you were first getting in January of this year. Yep. And then uh, were you making a lot of purchases like in the first quarter of the year or? I remember we went on the trip in June and you were telling me to do all the right things, buy CryptoPunks and apes and stuff. I didn't do any of that, but um, that was in June. You were already Mm -hmm. pretty deep. Um, when did you go from like your, your first purchases to a lot of NFT transactions? End of January, early February. Um, I gotta thank Taylor KB who uh, really kind of convinced me on punks and I, I dove more into their community and just like the story behind it. And, uh, it did, you know, I, I love that story. You're basically buying history within NFTs. Um, and then top shot was just crazy. I mean, Bales wrote that article, things went really viral. A lot of people were doing like mainstream media and of course, like prices on top shot specifically in January and February, just going straight up. So that was fun. Um, crypto punk started to do a similar trajectory as well as some of the other, um, you know, older NFTs. Um, and then there was a whole bunch of new products and, uh, and different NFTs that came out you know, from March until now, we're still seeing tons of products coming out or projects, I should say. So if we look at the past month or so, the 
CryptoPunks and the legacy projects have done really well. They've held up really well. And then uh, is it fair to say that some of the newer projects like Top Shots and Zed Horses and stuff like that, they've done less well? I'd say Zed has actually held up okay. Um, and Punks have gone down too in the last you know month or so. The project that's done the best by far has been the Bored Apes. Um, but most projects, you know, um, I think especially like the profile picture projects, most of them have done pretty poorly um, after August, which was August was basically if you bought anything and sold it, you were probably doing pretty well. Um, and of course, if you bought in January, February, uh, things are still significantly higher. Um, but we'll see. I, I'm, I'm, I've been a net seller for a, a stretch of time here um, just because I thought things got a little out of hand and I'm, I'm excited for the next wave of uh, innovation. I think punks are really interesting. Board Apes have done something really cool with the community. Um, they've gotten Jimmy Fallon and all the athletes. And I have friends here who are Broncos who own Board Apes. So for whatever reason, um, I think they did a lot of things really well. And that's like the kind of blue chip project from this year. But for the most part, um, we've seen a decline in prices from like the mania uh, in August. And every day has a lot of new F nfts produced right so that probably part of it like oh yeah There's individual a... project is unique but substitutes are are coming on pretty quickly correct and and so the one of one art's done well i would say um punks have started to fall off but they've done broadly really well for the year um they had a crazy run in august as well um, and there's there's some really unique cool stuff that's happening um i'm particularly interested in like the play to earn uh segment of nfts um zed falls into that and there's some really cool stuff happening with zed and star atlas is another game i'm interested in axie infinity has done really well um so there's pockets that have done really well but i mean you just like we talked about in june i always try to get perspective of other people i really respect and um you know a lot of sharp people and just in general even being in there you can recognize when there's like that mania going on and it's like musical chairs. So you want to, you want to get a seat at some point. Um, and there's been a ton of saturation and a lot of just very similar projects that have been released. So it's not surprising that uh, a lot of the market's fallen off. Have you heard of this game, Alluvium? I feel like I've heard of it. What, what's uh, how have you heard of the game? It has a cool trailer. I was just checking it out. I think yesterday. yeah. Some of the gaming stuff is going to be absolutely unbelievable. And I'm really excited about that. There's there's definitely some things that haven't worked, but like that Wolf game, for example, which I didn't participate in at all. That was viral and people made tons of money and it's still going. So I, I think that's very clear that there's going to be some cool things. And like Roblox has had a really great year and um, we'll see. We'll see a lot of cool stuff in that segment, I think. So Star Atlas and Axie Infinity, you can you can buy things in the game like are you speculating on whatever it is yeah or i'm speculating on star atlas um and those assets have actually held up really well that's on the solana chain kind of like a star wars type theme game where you can leverage uh some of the assets to yield farm and, and do some interesting stuff um axie went absolutely nuclear um i think it's like 10 percent, or at least it was like 10 percent of the population of the philippines is playing that game for a living because it's more attractive than their other jobs. Um, who knows? We'll see how long it lasts. They definitely did some things extremely well, um, but it's still early days. And I never got involved in that ecosystem, although some of our mutual friends did. 
what other um, games or play to earn uh, has has your attention? Yeah, I mean, the wolf thing is is something I've paid a lot of attention to, and I think we'll see more. That has some really interesting game theory. I, I don't know how much. Well, what is there. what is that? I'm not familiar with. So there's wolves and sheep, and then basically, um, and again, I I don't know. Our friend Al, Al Zeidenfeld has done more content on this, but there's uh, basically an underlying asset, which is the wool. And um, yeah, essentially like wolves can kill sheep and there's different ways that you can make bets. And um, as a whole, the ecosystem has done extremely well. I don't know how well it's done in the last maybe week or so, but for a while that was uh, at the top of the charts. So I'm lucky trader for the NFT rankings, which is just basically volume of transactions. And these games, when they when they're being built, um, how how are they paying for the game development? Because are are they are they paying for the game development with um, startup funds or tokens or what? Like, what's what's the typical business model? Yeah, so I'd say a lot of crypto projects in general now have more traditional financing. Um, a lot of the VCs have gotten into the space. Um, there's also, you know, some that are just more bootstrapped. Um, like, I don't know actually specifically the, the full story on the Wolf game, but Star Atlas, for example, has some real funding behind it. Um, they're, they're building on Solana, so they have support from that, that team. Um, FTX is heavily involved in, in supporting Solana projects as well. So they have a ton of resources. Um, but yeah, you know, like Bored Apes, uh, they now have a game and that's funded by all the revenue that they've generated from... Uh, you know, the different assets that they've uh, sold and the fees that they're generating when assets uh, change hands. So um, right now is actually a really great time to be building just because there's a lot of capital flowing around uh, given more traditional VCs and, and those players have really uh, allocated capital in the space. So at Lucky Trader, obviously you're, you're tracking NFTs. Um, are you tracking these games as well? We're tracking the volume of the games, but that is a huge point of emphasis for us as a team and something we're, we're trying to do. If anyone out there is really into these games, I definitely would love to talk to you. We, we want to do more content around these games. Um, but yeah, it's something that we want to, I mean, and, you know, when, if we can kind of identify what games are doing well, I think there's an incredible opportunity to uh, basically do content, build tools. Uh, there's going to be really interesting data that you can you know, derive from these games. So we certainly want to serve that audience. What would you consider the main use case for Lucky Trader? Is it, is it someone who uh, wants to buy an NFT and wants to basically sort for the best value, as it were? Um, what what would you think of as your typical user of Lucky Trader? So right now it's a lot different than what we hope. I mean, I, I think the people that are using Lucky Trader now, we absolutely want to continue to serve like the hardcore audience. Um, so right now the majority of people are coming to our asset page or our rankings page and seeing kind of what's happened, what are the recent transactions. Um, a lot of times people will come to those pages too when a project comes out. So they see something's minted and they, they want to identify uh, some values for things that are for sale. Um, in addition, a lot of people are using our OpenSea plugin, which is basically a power user extension. Uh, you can mass bid, mass sell, um, and set a lot of different parameters on, on OpenSea. 
So right now we kind of have the audience that uh, is spending a lot of time, you know, especially earlier in the year, there is a ton of alpha and you could just flip uh, a lot of these projects, especially if you can identify some of the assets that were mispriced. Um, and there's still a lot of that today. I mean, like I'm looking at the crypto punks right now and um, we've seen kind of the floor drop a little bit. And um, there's been some people who have been selling um, some big accounts. And my view is that there's a lot of mispriced um, assets relative to the floor. And that's kind of what you're looking at a lot of times is, okay, here's what the cheapest ones are, are for sale. And are there some outliers that are maybe 10% uh, above the floor that really should be 40 or 50% above the floor? Um, but long-term, I mean, and we're trying to do this now, we want to onboard as many people as we can to Web3. So we have basic stuff right now, like how to set up a MetaMask, how to get started on OpenSea. Um, there's all these other platforms getting involved, FTX, uh, Coinbase is now going to be a marketplace for NFTs. Obviously, DraftKings is doing all of these things. So we want to help people get started. Um, and then, of course, I think long-term, there's a really big opportunity in just modern finance as a whole. I'm really attracted to you know, some of the cool things that I think we're going to see. Uh, Yield Street's really interesting. Masterworks, people can go and buy fractions of blue chip art, um, which is fascinating to me. Um, I think there's a lot of really cool stuff around, you know, buying fractions of a farm. I think real estate's going to be disrupted where you might be able to, uh, you know, go long, you know, say Manhattan real estate, if you were bullish on that uh, during COVID. Um, so we have aspirations, not just in, NFTs and Web3, but in modern finance as a whole, long-term. Is your wallet public, your NFT wallet public? So I have a co- I have a variety of wallets, but some of my wallets are. You can see like some of the wallets where I hold like uh, CryptoPunks. I have a Bored Ape. Um, before we moved our Z assets to our company stable, I had those there. Uh, I'm, I'm, I bought a bunch of these goons, which have gone uh, basically straight down. So yeah, you can see some of the stuff and then I bought some one-of-one art on Super Rare. Um, so yeah, that's a cool thing. I mean, there's a lot of products out there where you can see uh, what wallets are doing. And that's actually something we're building now um, is the ability to track uh, specific wallets and then you know get alerts of like, say you're following my wallet, for example, if you saw that I bought or sold something, you could get alert um, when we do those things. So that's one cool thing about the blockchain is all the transparency that you have. Nice. Um, I still don't own any. I should have taken your advice in June. Um, actually, I don't know if you've ever given me a piece of bad advice, but no, don't. I'm sure I've given you plenty advice of bad advice. Is something that I I most certainly should have followed. You, you've given me great advice. I've been I've been uh, lucky to be your friend for a long time now. Um, and then and what also too like I'd love to hear your view. Like 2021. I mean, if you were just invested in any asset, basically you probably did pretty well. How are you thinking about that as the year comes to a close? Oh, you want me to make predictions for 2022? I'm not even, I'm not asking you to make predictions. I'm, I'm more just saying like, we've had, you know, wild asset appreciation. I mean, is that something, obviously you're thinking about it, but like, you know, I think NFTs are, are you know, fit into that risk on, you know, part of what, what's happening. And we've seen crypto trade that way. So I don't know. I'm not asking you to make predictions, but any just like strong takeaways from 2021 as a whole relative to asset prices? Well, um, there's been a strong tendency for all of the risk assets to move together. And I don't see why that changes 
Um, and I guess the starting point would seem to be the S&P. Everything kind of moves from the S&P. And right. um, well, we're at an interesting time at this exact moment because November was a very bad month for like smart hedge funds, smart yep. hedge funds <clears throat> that are long short. Um, there was a lot of like very, very bad performances, even though the market as a whole held up. Um, and that sometimes is a sign that things uh, are going the wrong way. Like you had a big disturbance, say, in the hedge fund sector in August of 2007, mm-hmm. but you didn't have you didn't have big, big declines in the market until more than a year later. You had so many heavy-handed Fed interventions that sort of slowed the process. But um, <clears throat> I think that was something to watch. Um, and I think if you look at the long history of, say, the S&P, there is some limited amount of predictive ability from valuation metrics. Mm-hmm. Like if you're looking at long horizons and since valuation metrics, price to earnings, price to book, price to sales, all of these sorts of things are at near record highs. It would, right. It's suggestive of the fact that the risk is to the downside. Um, and just to follow up on that, I know I want to continue, but it is related to NFTs and just kind of the whole risk on thing. I, you know, all of that makes perfect sense to me. And, and a lot of people talk about it. I think the variable that's been not unprecedented because we've seen it, but it, it, certainly since 2008, it's another factor that I think people have to look at is just the immense amount of liquidity that's been put into the system. And of course it has to flow somewhere, which I think part of why we've seen JPEG sell for millions of dollars and all this crazy action happening. Um, there's certainly really cool stuff being built. And I think we're truly entering like a different frontier, which is awesome, but that doesn't mean there's still wild speculation. And a lot of these projects that are probably worth nothing are priced way too high. Um, I think a lot of people argue, Hey, that's because of a lot of the liquidity that was pumped into the system. Um, you know, I've seen stuff that like, you know, people have more saved, more money saved than ever. Obviously asset prices have just gone straight up into the right. There's all the talk of inflation. Um, now the fed and Powell saying it's not transitory. So how do you think about like the liquidity part of that equation? Because I, I agree things are priced in a really strange way relative to some of the traditional metrics, but this introduction of all the liquidity that the Fed's pumping in certainly seems to be impacting asset prices. Yeah, um, I think it's definitely true, right? That like aggressive Fed policy has led to asset prices going straight up. Um I think the dangers are when you say, well, because the Fed figures to continue to be aggressive, asset prices will keep going up. I think that's mm-hmm. where the danger comes. So I think right. people are too quick to, to do that, to say, well, the Fed's going to continue to be aggressive. And so these things will keep going up. That's where you have to be careful. Right. Um, if you're one that has held the right assets, you have to say, um, I've benefited from the fact 
that there has been aggressive fiscal and monetary policy. Um, Crypto and NFTs seem to be smack in the middle of that 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 statement. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's dangerous to say because aggressive monetary policy is likely to continue, therefore risk assets will continue to go up. That that's the part that's dangerous. Right. And the the reason it's dangerous is because basically, um, I don't know when you should. I don't know what history of cryptocurrency is relevant, right? I mean, you could go all the way back to 2011, 2012 and say it's just been a straight up ride. It's hard to say when you should sort of start your history of cryptocurrency prices. Um, but let's just say we're looking at the past eight years or whatever. Um we've gone straight up in terms of cryptocurrency prices. And the argument all along has been, well, you have a fixed supply of 21 million at the end of the day, and we're printing dollars at an incredible rate and we're never gonna stop. And therefore uh, price of Bitcoin should just keep rising at a strong rate relative to USDs. And, And the thing is, that price action for, for BTC has already happened. The inflation has not really happened. It's just started to happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. But before 2021, it had happened to a very limited degree. So it had already priced in a lot of future inflation for USDs. Right. And, and now it's a very open question how much inflation is to come versus how much has been priced in. Right. And that's, that's where it gets dicey, right? So like, um, it's not clear to me how much future inflation in USD has already been priced into BTC, but um, it seems like it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> so... One, one must be careful and, and, and um, my bets are with the idea that a reasonably high rate of inflation will continue, um, but there's some decent probability, 20% or something that um, inflation in 2022, 23, 24 could surprise to the downside. Right. And we could be back at like one, 2%. Um, and that would seem to be a very d- disappointing world for crypto. Um, I love what you just did there. And it's something that's just so ingrained in how you and I think, and like our peers that are in poker and gambling and, you know, investing for that matter too. It's just, I love people who think in terms of probabilities, a lot of people want to say what's going to happen. You know, they want, you know, a black and white, here's, here's what's going to play out. And what you described, there's a 20% chance that maybe your thesis or, you know, the inflation thesis for a lot of people is, is on the downside. Um, and to me, that's like the interesting thing with all this stuff is like trying to think in, in that realm. And that's how, like, for me with NFTs, especially when I started to spend or started to, I guess, invest like real capital in January and February, I did see a lot of downside, but there was, you know, in my mind, 25, 30, 40% chance that these could really appreciate long-term and certainly maybe even a little bit higher that they could appreciate in the short term. 
Um, of course, there's a huge chance they go to zero. It's not hard to come up with a thesis for why a pixel that anyone can have is not worth anything, right? So, but it's it's thinking in like those range of outcomes and thinking about things in a percentage basis, I think is critical. And that's why I think poker players have done the really interesting thing, BA, that's relevant for you is I would say of like these NFT like crypto whales, a good percentage of them are poker guys. Like Mike McDonald's a good example. Ryan Doubt's another guy. Cole South's in the game. Um, there's a lot of people that, you know, I think have that way of thinking and obviously have some gamble in them um, <laughs> that have gotten into this stuff. And, and crypto is, is a lot of luck too for poker players too, right? Like they're using crypto to basically be able to play poker. And, you know, that's how I got into crypto initially is I needed it to make sports bets, right? So a lot of that is luck. And I think that's another thing that's interesting to think and talk about is like a lot of poker players and a lot of people in our group, especially after this year. And that's something I'm really trying to think about is like, you feel great because you've had this great year, but you don't want to overestimate how much of that is just luck and kind of a rising tide lifts all boats. For sure. Um, and again, my, my bets are with inflation continuing, but you never know. You have to give it a solid 20% that it doesn't yep and it basically comes down to the idea that the the long-term trend for low rates of inflation is demographics technology and internationalization and demographics are somewhat predictable and probably lending themselves towards higher rates of inflation in, yep. in my view anyway, um, it would seem like globalization is sort of reversing a little bit in a way that will <clears throat> lead to inflation, but you never know. Like it could be that we look back 10 years from now and say that we didn't anticipate, let's say India being a growing, growing part of the world economy or Africa or so, like some parts of the world <clears throat> that grow in importance usually. Um, but the one piece that's fully unpredictable is technology. That's like, what I was going to say. Um, how, how quickly does technology uh, lead to productivity improvements? Um, that's the biggest deflationary force broadly, right? I mean, I don't know how much you've been watching. Like, I mean, I've seen these things where... <laughs> Robots are getting introduced. My brother works at Amazon. Like the robots being introduced to the workforce is astonishing. And like the amount of money that um, some of these technologies can save and just a lot of the way people do business and live their lives, uh, costs are being driven down immensely by technology. But that's, you know, one force of it. And there's all these other things, especially all the money that seems to be pumped into the ecosystem. And yeah, there's plans of more money being pumped into uh into the uh into the ecosystem as well so i don't know i love thinking about all these things and that's part of the part of the lens that i i use for looking at kind of just modern finance as a whole and i'm really i'm excited about how that evolves um not just nfts not just crypto i think there's going to be some really interesting opportunities um and access that people are going to have to to different asset classes and even in like you know angel investing and venture investing there's new opportunities to get involved and there's crowdsourcing. That's really cool. So 
we'll see. I think we have a really interesting uh, couple of years in front of us and definitely an interesting decade in front of us. Do you know anyone who's tried to mint their own NFT? Yeah, I do. I do. I know some people have done it, athletes, uh, celebrities, most of them have gone pretty bad. Um, and, and it's normally because they're, they're just trying to make a, you know, a cash grab. Um, so that's, all, that's my biggest thing right now. And I think a lot of people are ruining reputations, by just making these blatant cash grabs. And um, that's another thing that I think is so important that, you know, super well, just from business and poker and the gambling world, like you only have one reputation. So as soon as you make that like huge cash grab, um, it's, it's hard to build back your reputation. So um, I guess it makes sense. There's always greed and people are going to, you know, make short-term decisions. But um, for the most part, people that have minted their own NFTs have not done as well. And there's been, there's of course, positive examples, but most of the people that I know that have gone down that, that route have uh, um, not done as well. And they've done kind of copycat type projects. When you say copycat type projects at this point, to do say uh, a crypto punk similar project where you have ten thousand and yeah the PFPs there's a zillion like that, PFPs. that stuff like, you, you can you can sort of do that overnight or something of right? course and think of I mean we got lions we got koalas we got beavers we got rats we got every animal under the sun um, and to me that's that's the part where I was like there's this cool part of innovation recognizing some of the really thoughtful you know making NFTs in 2017. I mean, that, like what the CryptoPunks and Larva Labs did, that was so cool. Um, and there's other examples of like really innovative, smart stuff. Um, and there's examples of that now. I think the music industry is going to be disrupted. We've seen really cool stuff from some of the DJs. Um, Denver Beer Company, here's a unique thing. They did beer for life as an NFT, get four beers a day. Like that has, you know, tangible value. That's interesting. Um, stuff that I think would make sense to you there's a three Michelin restaurant opening up in New York. The only way to get into it is through an NFT. Like access is clearly going to be something that's very cool. Um, well, to be fair, but, you can't have a three Michelin star open up, right? Or or unless I, I'm, I'm misquoting. They have it. ambitions. They have ambitions to be. Open. They have ambitions. They have a three Michelin star chef or whatever. Sorry, I, I misquoted that. Um, they're, they're opening up an extremely high end restaurant with those aspirations and like the the people they're basically trying to create like one of the nicest restaurants in New York and the only way to get access is through an NFT. Um, so that's that that type of thing is interesting. But you know, tomorrow when we see the next, you know, like, and I, I don't want to like throw out any. I, I'm just looking through the big projects right now. Like, so many of these are just animal projects, and it just to me that is you know, people just reiterating on the same thing, trying to get money. Um, and that's where the gaming is interesting. And we're going to see big brands get involved. Adidas just partnered with Board Apes. I know Nike's doing a lot of really cool stuff. Um, I'm excited for things of that nature. Like, I think there could be a cool poker or golf uh, NFT where you're basically selling access. Like, imagine you got to play just hypothetically like Augusta with like celebrities or whatever, or like PJ Tour guys did something. Like, there could be really cool things around like exclusive high-end access. Um, stuff like that is, is intriguing to me. So Bored Apes, um, their selling point was community from the beginning or that developed later? 
Yeah, it was community from the beginning and they've really executed. I mean, it's it's incredible. They've almost flipped CryptoPunks. I mean, the floor right now, as we're recording here on December 7th, uh, is about 52 ETH. And the floor for CryptoPunks is about 73. And that's been converging. I mean, they got Steph Curry, they got Jimmy Fallon, they got Von Miller. Um, and they threw epic parties in, in New York for NFT NYC. They did a lot of really cool stuff for Miami. They're giving out merch. Um, they've given out other NFTs that have ended up, ended up being really cool. Like what they did with the Mutant Ape Yacht Club with the serum. That was really creative, awesome art. And they're clearly executing on like delivering things. They now have a game. Um, so they're taking the capital that they, they're raising and continue to raise from the project success. And they're reinvesting it back into kind of the ecosystem and the people that are, are in uh, the club. So that's been the one huge success. And I think that's what basically all these other projects are chasing. Um, and what I'm most excited for is innovation away from just like what these are. Um, another analogy that I think makes a lot of sense that's playing out certainly in CryptoPunks and Mutant Ape Yacht Club is it's basically like a digital country club. And, you know, people, especially in crypto that have been fortunate to be long crypto for a while, they have quite a bit of capital right now. And, you know, doing something for status, paying a couple hundred grand for, for status ends up uh, happening more than you think. Yeah, it was funny. I went to an NFT conference here in Miami mm -hmm. on, I believe, the Tuesday before Basel. Um, it was it was interesting. The content, um, well, I wouldn't have rated it super super high, um, but there's there's bad actors. But how like cool like the Zed racing? Like how obvious is that? Like digital horse racing where you it, like. Right now, they're obviously going to have to play the long game and get gambling license and do all that stuff before they do high stakes stuff. But like that makes sense, right? Like, yeah, that's digital all. Horse, that's that's a, such an obvious like thing. Like your horses can race all the time. You know, you don't have all the you know animal issues, and there's so many cool things that can come from things like that. But who needs another? You know, why do I need to buy the freaking crazy koala or what? I mean, that's a made up name, but like what's the value of like having one of those? And basically what they're trying to emulate is what Board Ape Yacht Club did. And, you know, a lot of people can't afford to get into some of these clubs. So then they just kind of shift down and that's kind of where things are now. There's just like these different tiers of like digital country clubs, I guess. All right. Well, talk, talk to me about this. Okay. Um, I love Twitter. You love Twitter. Oh, love Twitter. Then I have, I have my, um, friends that i text with sporadically okay i don't see a ton of value for myself in having these sort of closed off managed discord chats or telegram chats but i get i get the feeling that a lot of people spend huge amounts of time in these closed channels now yeah they do obviously if you if you buy I a board ape, I guess part of it is that you get in these closed chats. I don't know exactly. Yeah, and they're having events. I mean, they, they had like some really cool concerts and meetups, and they're giving out away gear. And like in the game, you can win like actual, like tangible, cool things like pinball machines and whatever. I mean, they're offering tangible value, but that's because they've done so well. Um, but yeah, I, I broadly agree with you. Although, I do think people are looking for community more and more. And I think that's another trend that really helped 
NFTs as a whole and just kind of this movement is, you know, people are lonely after COVID. Um, and, you know, a lot of people did like Zoom hangouts or play poker or whatever else. And um, yeah, I, I think people are more keen to uh, link up uh, online. And yeah, there's a lot of places like I, I love doing those Twitter spaces and there's some really good conversations and people just hang out and you know, I've built a lot of really good relationship with people that I only, only know online. Um, but I understand what you're saying and certain people are looking for it more. And, you know, part of the alert to this year is that there's been, I don't want to use the word out. There's just been a lot of opportunity, I guess, with kind of how prices have moved. So if you've been plugged into some of these communities, you've probably been presented with a lot of opportunities to make, make money while things have been going up. Yeah, I sort of noticed at the NFT conference that, um, well, I'm, I'm going to steal Nate Silver's term because he was also there. He said it was a, a, a culture of hyper-networking. Yeah. Um, which exists in a lot of different environments, right? I mean, I remember business school. Wasn't poker like that a little bit for a stretch? Like, I mean, obviously you're competing. Not really, just- no. I don't think so. Poker has ever been like that. Um, Wasn't there a time? And maybe that's maybe that right. But like, I feel like people were much more willing to collaborate. And there's like the poker houses, and maybe not to the same level of like thousands of people. But like, when poker was really inefficient, I remember a lot of. And then maybe I'm just biased towards like what I experienced. But I remember a lot of like people getting together and like trying to work together and exploit things. But maybe there are a lot of just lone rangers too. I don't know. Not yeah, to the same bad analogy. Never I started as hyper networking. Um, what else have you seen hyper networking in? And it's probably probably is there is that well, a red like, flag? I don't know. At say business school, business school culture. I was a doctoral student, but you could certainly see it in uh, say MBA culture, pre-social networks. Um, yeah. You. Um, you see it in conference, certain certain conferences are hyper-networking, but, but, but I, I just noticed that the NFT conference, it was especially so because, well, it makes sense, right? It's like, if you get in the right group and you get allocation in this thing or whatever. The crypto world right now in the startup space, I mean, some of the, I mean, I don't know. Our good friend Brian Pellegrino, Layer Zero Labs, was rumored to raise $100 million at a billion-dollar valuation pre-product, pre-revenue. I mean, what they're tackling, you know, connecting different chains is incredible. And from the demos I've seen, it's unbelievably impressive tech. And the investors they have are off the charts. But um, there's other examples. I mean, just, you know, just across the board, like crypto valuations are just off the charts. And a lot of that too is because of the tokenization. Like if you have success and then you release a token, there's faster liquidity for investors. So, but it's a crazy world out there. And where are we legally in all of that? Like if you, tokens are good in terms of. For now, I think, I think the looming, you know, biggest risk to the whole space is regulation, which to me is inevitable. Um, but maybe there'll be thoughtful regulation. I've actually read quite a bit of material and um, there's definitely regulators and people that are very um, educated on what's going on and are really thoughtful about the long-term. 
Um, one thing I'd love to get your perspective on and one of my kind of overall thesis from what's transpired this year, uh, you know, I think China shutting off, uh, you know, and making it illegal to have Bitcoin and like basically getting all of the miners out of China is actually a net win for the US. And I think kind of aligns incentives more with um, regulators and people here in the, in the US. We have a lot of the big miners, you know, the you know, most valuable traded company in Coinbase. Um, there's some other companies here that are doing extremely well. And from a tax perspective, I do think the US can make quite a bit of money um, from all this crypto stuff as well. So that's an interesting lens that I've been thinking about is, you know, China went so hard against crypto that it opened up a lot of opportunity and a lot of business has flowed into the United States. And I'm wondering how that might impact regulation, but it's inevitable that there's definitely going to be some crackdowns and there's certainly a lot of bad actors in the space as well. Um, yeah. Any thoughts there on like the China thing? Like complex subject, but I would say that, my, my simplistic thought has always been that because the U.S. needs to run very high deficits for a long period of time based on demographics and entitlement expenditures that we're committed to, um, because we need to run these very large deficits, we have to inflate. And anything that threatens the ability to inflate is in trouble. Yep. That's been my simplistic view for a long period of time. Yep. And the history is that anything that would threaten a government's survival in the way crypto does, it, it, might, be, uh, it might be a late move, but the move will be severe against it. Um, and that's just sort of always been my view. It's been wrong, but... Um, well, so let's talk about that. That's been your view. In the short term, it's been wrong, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily wrong long term. But there's been have have, have like you know, there's futures trading here now. Um, Coinbase's success uh, now a lot. I mean, I know a lot about kind of the mining going on, and a lot of those are U.S. companies. Are there certain variables that you say, hey, maybe this will change my thesis a little bit, or like how are you? Because I, I, I can still see your view being absolutely right. And I do, I think that it's inevitable that we'll have regulation and there'll be a tax. I mean, the US needs to keep the dollar as the reserve currency and it is a threat to the ability to inflate. And we need to do that given our deficits. But how do you think about like new variables? Like when you have a, I mean, I think that's a thought out. You've obviously spent time on this and you have a view. Um, how do you How do you go about evolving that view given new information? Um, well, I think you you have to like <laughs> try to try to look forward where you say, uh, what is the what is the current valuation of cryptos? Call it like two to three trillion all in or something? Yeah, like two and a half trillion probably right now. Okay, so you're two to three trillion. If you're gonna hold it you have to have a view that it's going to be increasing by a lot um, just based on the idea that the variance is like about three times S&P variance and there's no underlying value anchor. There's no cash flows associated to yep. it. So like for you to be in it, you have to kind of think that it's going to be worth a good bit more than that in five years, kind of. 
Um, and it, it gets to the idea that if it's 3 trillion now, maybe that's not significant, but five times that amount, um, then you're talking about a number that's like a third of all U.S. equities or something like that. Then, right. then it is very important. Or, or maybe it's more behavioral, like once an entire generation of the young starts to use it for storing the majority of their wealth and for transacting, then they're not in dollars and in the U.S. tax system, and that's the threat. Um, yeah, demographics are strongly in favor of crypto. It's young people, but I don't know. There, and there's, I mean, the environmental stuff is starting to play, you know, has been um, a, a topic of conversation. And it does seem from all the research that I've done, the most likely areas of uh, regulation are going to be in stable tokens and, uh, and DeFi. And DeFi to me is actually one of like the coolest use cases of crypto. I don't know how much time you've looked into this, but to me, it's really cool that you can have a smart contract, basically have you have an over collateralized loan, you know, based on whatever your collateral is, if it hits a certain price, you're going to get liquidated. Like that's so much more efficient and fair relative to kind of what's happening now in the traditional finance ecosystem. Um, but there's, there's pros and cons there, but I, I do see what's happened in DeFi. There's a lot of really interesting stuff that I think makes a lot of sense long-term. Like, especially yeah. like some of these things, like you can borrow against other assets, but the process is just so much long, like so much longer. And in crypto, it's like, hey, you have a hundred thousand dollars of Bitcoin, you want to borrow 50 grand, you put it up. I mean, it's not the best example because most of the stuff's on the, the ETH blockchain, but um, hundred grand of ETH, you can borrow against it. Uh, you want to buy a car or whatever else. Like, and you know, if you borrow the 50 grand and you let's say that your liquidation's at 80%, if the ETH drops down to, you know, 65,000, 60,000, whatever the liquidation price is that you're going to start getting sold out. Like that to me is super interesting. Yeah. I think it's a great choice to have. Um, to me, it's always been a little bit mysterious because there's the underlying assumption that these crypto assets are appreciating at a high rate and something that you would never want to liquidate. Um, That's been the case so far, but who knows? I mean, yeah, yeah I, I, I say that just because like in the cash economy, the way that it works is if you have the USD and you want something, you just spend the USD. You know? <laughs> like, why wouldn't it work the same in the crypto economy? Like you have 100,000 in, in Ethereum, like why do you have to borrow against those Ethereum to then get cash and, and buy the asset? Why not just sell yeah. the Yeah, it's the people <laughs> it's that are long. It's always been it's a little like if you have a house or if you have something uh, else. I get I it, understand. I get it, but there's... Um, do people borrow against gold? Probably not that often, right? No, I. You have levered products and you have margin loans. It, it's just that's a fair point. Struck, it's always struck me as a bit mysterious that people would pay yeah. <coughs> to borrow against that asset rather than just spend. Real quick to summarize this, I, I look at a lot of these stats. Uh, I'm looking at like the gold to Bitcoin uh, ratio. That's still right now based on case for Bitcoin. Uh, 11.4x monetary two policy relative to Bitcoin market caps 22x. Uh, oil uh, is another thing that you can look at. So uh, those are interesting. I think the digital gold story and narrative for Bitcoin makes a lot of sense, but we'll see. 
there's a lot of cool things that could happen, but it's still extremely speculative. And I think people in our world just assume it's up only, and that's a dangerous assumption to make. Yeah. Um, clearly, people missed the fact that Bitcoin was a great substitute for gold, or a lot of people in whatever you want to call it, traditional finance, missed the fact that Bitcoin was going to take some share from gold because it was better at a lot of things. It was zero storage cost, basically zero transactions cost, infinitely divisible, very transportable. Um, it had a lot of advantages over gold and people sort of missed that. Yeah. And, and that's some of the reason why Bitcoin has done a lot better relative to gold. And the networks worked, right? That to me is the most valuable thing is the network has worked for whatever, you know, 10 years now, um, 10 plus years. And that's really the long, the long term is how many people are participating. It's a network effect. Is the technology still working? And then the things that you just explained, those are the benefits of it. Like that's, that's like the, the fundamentals of, of, of Bitcoin to me are, how many people are participating, um, the network's still working, how many transactions a day, things, those, things like that are the actual fundamentals. And there, and there was one thing that was a bit random that I think is easy to forget, which is that Bitcoin did always have to defeat the substitutes, right? Like there were always gonna be a huge number of things that were similar to Bitcoin, even though Bitcoin was limited to 21 million, there could be- Yep very similar things to bitcoin many many iterations of those things um and it was always possible that bitcoin would just sort of get lost in the in in that of um, course but that didn't happen bitcoin came out firmly on top so that didn't it didn't have to be that way and it was that way um but Going back to uh, Bitcoin going forward and the threat of regulation, I think I think one thing that you have to consider now is that there is just the possibility that like the U.S. not gives up, but just never even tries to regulate Bitcoin, and that. Bitcoin, it takes the lead in a move to a more anarchic society, right? Like, I think I had always assumed that, like, because Bitcoin was a threat to the established order of things and to the US dollar and to government finance, that it would get destroyed. And it's not just the US, it's like all all governments, especially Western governments that run big deficits and print a lot of money. Um, I had always assumed that because the threat was so obvious that it would be stamped out. But I think increasingly you have to consider the possibility that these governments just don't try to do anything. The governments increasingly don't work. And you have this new sort of anarchic internationalism, internationalism that is sort of crypto, not crypto centered, but like crypto is an important part of it. Um, 
it seems like a seems like a not that great world, right? <laughs> but uh, it's certainly possible. Yeah. Well, I think the the first part of it that was kind of what I was trying to talk about with China. I mean, I think Bitcoin is uh, it's definitely in the best position it's ever been in relatively in, in the U.S. I mean, I think it's like something like fifty five million Americans have crypto now. Like I mentioned before, we have the biggest publicly traded companies. Uh, we have a lot of the mining now. So a lot of money in theory from this industry should flow back into the U.S. Um, and I think from a political standpoint, it'd be a pretty bad move to like outright ban this stuff, given how many Americans actually are using it. And, um, you know, prominent people are involved, too. I mean, guys like Tom Brady are doing national commercials, you know, like it's not it's it's a lot different than it was, you know, in 2017. Um so in that regard, I think, how is the U.S. going to evolve? How are they going to think about how this plays into it? I think Bitcoin is by far the safest crypto asset from a regulatory standpoint. Um, the stable tokens, there's been a lot of really thoughtful stuff. I think there's certainly regulation coming there. And then, you know, we'll see what happens in DeFi. I think that's something I want to be really thoughtful about. Um, at least that's my hope. But yeah, to the... I'm always, I'm more of a less government type person, um, definitely a libertarian at heart, but we certainly need safety, security, and there's a lot of benefits. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how it's going to evolve. I, I understand your concern, but, you know, in some ways it could be a more equitable society. And, um, you know, like this last year, like, how, I mean, I know so many business owners that had their best years ever during COVID because they got a bunch of money from the government, you know, like, I don't know. I, I'm more of a free markets guy broadly, but we'll see. I don't know. The first part I have conviction in. The second part I don't. I don't have like a strong view, but I, I get that perspective. So moving a bit into the micro, um, I'm curious. I was chatting with Cole South a bit, and we were talking about Ethereum and gas fees, high transactions costs, the fact that NFTs tend to be Ethereum based. Um, do you have bullishness on any of the other chains like Polygon, Sol Solana? Oh or yeah. Oh yeah. What is your view on how things evolve over time? I mean, I'm still in ETH bull because I think there's a lot of uh, FUD is the term, a lot of fear out there. I, I think ETH will be just fine. Uh, the high gas cost is definitely something they need to alleviate, but layer two solutions uh, are gaining a lot of momentum. In particular, you just referenced Polygon. Um, I think there's tremendous upside with that project and the cost of doing transactions there is, is, you know, much, much lower. Uh, that's why Zed implemented, uh, that chain. And I think we'll see more and more NFTs move there. Solana gets a ton of hype. Um, I've, I, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm long both, and I guess it's kind of a hedge in some ways. Um, I can see pros and cons to kind of both. I think the biggest pro for the Ethereum network is that you have the most talented developers and you have by far the most developers. I should say there's definitely talented people in, in all these different projects, but the amount of like really high end um, devs and people building within Ethereum is second to none. Um, that being said, Solana, you know, boasts a lot of technology advantages and they have all this VCs behind them and, They've done a lot of really cool stuff too. So I, I, I'm I'm interested to see how that plays out. 
Um, and I think a big thing for ETH is how these layer two protocols play out. And then, yeah, there's other ecosystems that I think are really interesting. Avalanche has gained a lot of steam recently. Um, I'm really, I've always been fascinated by the Terra ecosystem. Um, a lot of mutual friends that are involved there. I think they've done a, some really, really innovative and extremely thoughtful things within that ecosystem. And that's played out really well. It's now a top 10 project uh, from a market cap perspective. So I'm bullish on a lot of these chains and I'm not like a maxi uh, by any means. I, I think these things can work together in, in certain ways. And um, I'm not like Ethereum wins exclusively and all these other things fail or, you know, there's the Bitcoin Ethereum battles. And uh, from a crypto allocation standpoint, I, I have bets on a variety of things. Now, we talked a bit about content NFTs and useful projects that might come from NFTs. It's the NFT space has been slow to move on from these meme based projects. Yep. Uh, what do you see as some of the most promising things in Web 3.0 content NFTs, real world applications? Yeah, music is so obvious. I mean, imagine you buy in, and there's been examples of this, you buy into an artist that's up and coming, you buy a percentage of their, you know, concert uh, and streaming revenue. Um, so you're betting on the artists that you're early on, you get exclusive access to some of their concerts, you get to meet them backstage. Um, artists and musicians uh, selling access, I think is such a clear, uh, you know, it's just so much better. Um, you know, when you're in the traditional art world, it was hard to meet the artists. I mean, I've made really good relationships with some of these people. Um, really, really cool stuff happening there, photography. Um, and then, yeah, I think the access stuff is going to be off the charts. Um, I'm really excited. Like, you know, imagine that you have uh, a really cool group of people. Maybe there's 100 instead of 10,000. Let's say it's 100 NFTs and uh, that gets you access to three golf trips a year. And it's Pebble Beach, Augusta, and somewhere else, like whatever, like, you know, pick a pick a great course, Pine Valley, um, something like that. And again, you know, those are bad examples because some of the super high-end clubs probably wouldn't let you participate in this, but there's some really cool things that you can do with access and community. Um, and I think we'll see more of that too in athletics. And um, I'd love to see it in, in kind of some of these other worlds, you know, you know, poker really well. I think there's an interesting opportunity there. Um, so to me, that's the next wave of innovation and the big one that we talked a little bit about before that is just, to me, the most clear is the gaming. I mean, digital assets are already worth a lot in these different games. They're just centralized to the developer and, you know, the right people build great games and all of the digital assets are for sale and public 24 seven in an open marketplace. That just makes way too much sense. Um, and there's tons of different games that you can envision that would play extremely well uh, within Web3. So that's the most obvious the access stuff's going to be really interesting. And then we'll see big brands and, and different companies get involved as well. And of course, the collectibles and art you know, still have a place, but it won't be the, the main feature of the NFT market as it is today. In the access space and the content space, um... It seems like a lot of times if one is releasing an NFT, they're sort of promising an infinite life, which is unrealistic. Of course. How, how, do, 
how, how does the NFT space get around this problem? That like, I don't know, when Gary Exactly, v that's is, exactly when, right. I'm, when Gary V is launching these things and it's like- Yeah, he's promising every year, it's like It's like, what do you mean every year? Like every year you're going to do it? Like it's the, the promise of an infinite life is a, is a promise that probably can't be fulfilled. So how, how does the NFT space get around that? Well, it's a great point and something I bring up all the time. That's where I think you're going to need bigger teams. And, you know, one individual promising all their time and access is not going to work for the long term. Um, and I think they shouldn't be priced. I think they should be priced more for the short term. Um, so we'll see. But I, that's where I think, you know, unlike the golf side of things, like you'd need like the network and the group of people who have it to be creating the value versus just the one person. So in that golf example, I would imagine like, you know, 20 of the people who own it are maybe, or however you figured out where like from a governance perspective and then like the fees perspective, like maybe some of the money flows back to like 10 or 20 people that end up making, you know, a lot of the decisions and um, setting things up. Um, the restaurant example is really interesting. How can, you know, what if the restaurant fails? So I agree. It's a really big challenge. And, um, that's why I think in general, there's a lot of projects that are over-promising and inevitably going to under-deliver. Um, so yeah, you, you shouldn't set like lofty and definite expectations. It should be, Hey, here's what's you know going to happen this year. And then we're hoping to do all these things going forward. And in the perfect world and kind of the way it's structured, like if these projects start having success, you know, one of the really cool things is you can have royalties on secondary transactions and that revenue in theory should pay for a lot of the stuff going forward. And then the people that are in these clubs or have this access are incentivized to keep the thing going. Um, yeah, that part. Board Apes, Board Apes is a perfect example of like that happening. Um, but yeah, there's way too much overpromising. People are releasing roadmaps saying they're going to deliver all these amazing things. And uh, I think a lot of it, it's empty promises. If you don't mind, oh, well, first, one more NFT question. Um, what do you mean by poker NFT? What What do you see there? Poker NFT. Yeah, like, okay, let's use the all-in podcast. Like, imagine you got to play online poker or in a game with those guys um, if you had, like, a specific NFT. Um, or maybe, you know, you could bet on, let's say I'm long Brandon Adams for 2022. Maybe there's an NFT where... Uh, I buy into like a percentage of your, it's basically like, you know, a staking agreement. I buy, you know, like 5% of your action for the year. Um, and it costs this, like there's a variety of different directions that I think it could go. Some of it could be access, like playing poker with Mark Cuban and Tiger Woods. Some of it could be playing with like your heroes. And then some of it could be like a real financial contract, um, which has its challenges because you get into the security stuff, but um if that gets cleared up, I think there's some very obvious answers. Um, yeah, there's staking agreements out there already and, you know, there's specific tournaments. Um, and again, you kind of get back to what you were talking about before, you know, let's say you're, you're like, Hey, this is the tournaments I'm going to play, but then something in life happens where you don't end up playing those tournaments. Like how is that rectified um, with someone who's aligned with you? So there's a lot to figure out, but I do think poker has uh, a really interesting opportunity, um, especially with some of the big names, like, People would love, love, love to play poker with certain people. And then, you know, you could tie things like, you know, let's say Phil Galfon came out with one. It's like, hey, the first, you know, there's a gold, silver and bronze tier, the gold tier. Um, I'll get an hour private lesson with me once a year. The silver tier, everyone gets a run at one subscription. 
silver tier gets like a group zoom where I go into certain things and like, you could start selling all these different things as part of the NFT that I think would be interesting as well. As That's a lot of spitballing. The uh, securities law, where is the line there that if you're promising future cash flows, uh, that's where you're a security? Like, what, Great question. Line? Super gray. And if I knew the answer, I would uh, be in high demand. Um, I think that's being sorted out. And I think that's one place we'll probably see regulatory stuff down the road as well. But basically the gray area is somewhere there. Like if you're promising, say- Yeah, if you're promising cash flows or you're making it like, yeah, if it if there's a financial contract, that's where it becomes. That's why a lot of these things right now are just collectibles, um, which is fine, but there's, you know, people are quote unquote investing in these collectibles because they think they're going to be good financial returns. So shifting gears a bit, um, I wanted to chat about the sports gambling and DFS biz, your original business. Yeah. Um, Do you have an outlook for that? It's been like a crazy year because you've had the exuberance kind of fade somewhat quickly on these stocks and the exuberance earlier this year led to many companies like MGM and Caesars that could potentially sort of copy the DraftKings of the world. They spent hundreds of millions of dollars and it, it's a it's a very strange space. Uh, do you have any outlook for, for the future or rather? Yeah, not? that's where I have the most conviction. I think I have a good, I think that's been my majority of my career and um, I certainly have aspirations in sports. I'm, I'm still playing DFS and uh, betting quite a bit. It's been great to be a Colorado resident. There's been a lot of opportunity to take advantage of bonuses and just the, the wide ranging amount of lines. Uh, obviously being limited as a better sucks, but um, there's still an interesting opportunity. From a high level and a business perspective, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, there was, uh, I'd say the market was a bit drunk. Um, kind of start the year. Um, a lot of these companies are spending a ton of money and losing money to acquire customers. Um, I think in the, sh- you know, the sports betting business is a good business, but not a great business. Certainly not um, the business as a whole that's reflected in some of these public equities. That being said, there is, you know, a, a way that all of this gets, I wouldn't say bailed out, but like the really high upside is in iCasino. Um, if you look at some of the numbers that, uh, and you hear some of the numbers that some of these businesses are doing, I mean, um, the iCasino numbers are just incredibly off the charts and, uh, probably the best way to acquire customers for that is through sports betting. So that is one way it plays out in a really positive. That's sort of a, that's sort of a secret though, because that's like directly attacking the problem gambler. Right. And yep, of course. And I think that's a huge problem. And I think that's like the ethical thing. Like I've always had no issue promoting DFS specifically because I love the game and I feel like I'm always honest. It's like, it's a very competitive market. Um, If you're not in the top 1%, you're probably going to lose. And like, you know, the nice thing is you can kind of set how much money you're investing every week. And for a lot of people playing like the millionaire maker or whatever, like that's great entertainment and like something they can write off and um, they have still have a chance to like actually win. But of course, like the expectation for most is not great, but it's not like, Hey, go play online blackjack where everyone has a negative expectation going in. Like 
that stuff is uh, not my favorite, but it's certainly like a huge part of the overall ecosystem. Um, so we'll see how that evolves. Um, but that's a, that from a straight business perspective, that's the, uh, I guess, yeah, the secret that like, you know, could prove to make a lot of these companies uh, worth what they're, they're trading at today or worth a lot more, hopefully. Um, but yeah, there's some ethical things there. So I, personally, that's a hard thing. Um, I do still have optimism and on certain areas. I think uh, a lot of people are playing the same game. We're seeing a lot of people just offer similar promotions, you know, bet a dollar, win 200 if Patrick Mahomes plays basically, or if bet a dollar to win 200 if Jimmy Butler plays two seconds in the game, like all that type of stuff. Um, I think customers are starting to realize and see through that. Uh, I'm most excited about different iterations of games. Uh, I love the sports betting championship that DraftKings put on. Um, I could see a lot of other like peer-to-peer games evolving. Um, underdogs doing all those, you know, pick them type games, which are, you know, more fantasy type games. I think that's really interesting. Uh, Americans like different games. We play fantasy sports. We play pick them pools. We play, you know, we make these, you know, brackets for March Madness. So I'm optimistic about more games. That's where I think we should, we should see some innovation, but yeah, there's still a tremendous amount of opportunity, even though the overall pie is starting to come down, which to me was much overdue. And I think anyone who's in the space, like has recognized that the pie was too big from a public perception, given how much money these companies are losing. I have some interesting news, which is that um, I've been lobbying University of Miami for quite some time to try to teach there um, since I've lived in Miami for a long time. And finally, they said that they wanted to teach a course in sports analytics and they thought I would be. Oh, you're perfect for that. There's no yeah. one better. That's literally, that's like perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So I got it. Cheers to that, Good. buddy. I, that Cheers. makes me happy. Cheers. Sports analytics in spring 2022. And it, that's it going to be an incredible class. It might, it's graduate level, um, like MBAs and MS business analytics students. Um, it's open to undergrads, I believe, but it's part of an initiative at the University of Miami to have a sports analytics concentration, which is pretty awesome. No, it's amazing. And, and listen, there's a, a tremendous opportunity. It's still going to be a huge business in the country. And honestly, I learned more about investing and numbers and finance candidly through poker in college. And, you know, the early parts of my DFS career, uh, poker was a huge underlying part of that. And I learned, I mean, I learned more about Excel and how to crunch numbers through DFS than I I did in finance. And I think um, there's uh, amazing lessons that can be learned and kind of what we were talking about before, like thinking from a probability standpoint versus just like black and white like you learn to do that in sports um and there's so many cool games that i think i think games help people learn better than you know kind of traditional education and there's so many ways you can use games and different things in a sports analytics class you'll be an a plus professor for that uh, i hope so i hope so yeah i think That's it was amazing. good insight i think it was good insight of the university of miami to realize that like they had every major sport here totally Right. And I think about it, if you're like an it's, athlete, it's having arguments now to be a top two sports city in the U S it's got every major sport. 
ATP, PGA close by, NASCAR, Formula One. Only Austin has Formula One. Um, it, I think Miami's as a city is on a better trajectory than any other city. The only concern, I guess, is just like the climate stuff, but it's just that that part's who knows. Like, and things could, I mean, it's you live living there is great. I mean, <laughs> the weather's amazing. And, um, but yeah, as a whole, just like, tech, crypto, and then the sports thing, which are all growing industries. I mean, I think, what's your perspective? I, I still have the same thesis I had probably six, seven years ago. I mean, sports content is still the most valuable content out there. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah, because you have to watch it live. I think that's yeah. true. What else do you have to watch in real time? Maybe some market stuff, maybe some news stuff. But for the most part, the only content that's like truly compelling in real time is sports to me. Yeah. I think it's a great insight for Miami to, to focus on that program. They're going to do a conference at some point. Oh, it'd be incredible. Yeah. I need to get down to Miami. I mean, that's, yeah, exactly. that's exactly. have a, have like a early spring, late winter conference or late or early winter, whatever. I mean, everyone, I mean, you've seen it. Everyone wants to get to Miami, especially uh, in the cooler months for the year. Yeah. This, this recent Basel week was kind of a record. Um, I think because tech joined forces with Art Basel and they were doing this NFT and crypto stuff yeah. at the same time. All the tech bros are there too. I mean, that, of, that's what we were talking about. Record. Like, yeah. Because All, typically you could find a last minute hotel room in Miami. And this year it wasn't really possible. Um, yeah. It was, it was fully, fully booked. On the BD side, like all of my, you know, contacts, people I've been doing deals with and, uh, trying to build stuff with and whatever else, like most of those people are in Miami. And I was so bummed. Like there's, um, uh, you know, all these amazing things. I had so much FOMO not being in Miami and uh, had to tell a variety of people, no, no, I'm going to be at home with the baby, not, not in Miami, but. It was probably uh, good for your life. I did go to a crypto party one time and I was frankly shocked at what I saw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, I'm in these, I mean, I see I've been dude. around. I've been around some some poor lifestyle decisions in my life, poker and everything else. The crypto, it's just a new. They're world. drunk right now. They're totally drunk. They're that, that's the thing. Like I'm in it. Off. I'm still a bull, but people are drunk right now. Like they're just. There's a lot of bad decisions, and people are overlevered and. Thinking that they've solved. I, I have I have no thoughts about their financial decisions. I was not privy to that, but the party decisions. But those are correlated, the aren't they? So I've <laughs> I've found those decisions. Crypto to be is pretty a fast living crowd. Yeah, it's a fast living crowd. Yeah. Um. Okay. Random questions. Twitter. What's your average daily consumption per day on Twitter? So much. Do I you love find it so much? Do you do you find it uh, like one of the more productive or one of the less productive activities that you do, or hard hard to say? Both. What, what is your typical uh, Twitter consumption per day, and how do you do it? So I wake up my route. I've developed in this incredible morning routine. I need to nail. Oh, hold on, hold on. Morning. Then now I'm gonna have to combine two questions because my my next question is what you're about to get into. Um, my last podcast was with Cole South and I had him recommend some books. He recommended the book, Atomic Habits. I just recommended that online. That's and you just recommended ever. that on Twitter. Yeah. 
Um, and you mentioned one of your habits is to work out in the morning. So now we're combining the two questions. You have to talk about the yep. book, atomic habits and your, and your Twitter routine. That is the most powerful <laughs> thing. I'm really excited to talk about that. That's probably the most, hopefully. Yeah, that's very, very impactful. Uh, my morning routine, which uh, has been going on for maybe two years now, it's changed obviously with the baby, but now the baby's in the morning routine. Uh, I wake up like 6.30, 6.45 my time, um, go in, turn on CNBC, check crypto prices, check pre-markets, do a couple emails, uh, start a bottle and coffee, uh, coffee for me, bottle for the baby, grab the baby and uh, feed her a bottle and, and scroll Twitter. Uh, a little GM in the morning, which I know people find cheesy and whatever, but I truly believe like the reason I, I do that every morning, like every morning alive is truly a great morning. We're super blessed. And um, I, I really try to have gratitude. And when I feel it is for sure, I mean, throughout the day, there's different times, but like every morning I try to like actually have gratitude for being healthy and having the baby and the opportunity to have a fun day. Um, I feed the baby, look at markets, and then I really get into Twitter. Um, lots of fun stuff going on. Uh, I think it's really productive in certain ways. There's more alpha, more smart people. I've made great relationships on Twitter. Um, but yeah, it is a time suck too. And there's a bunch of trolls and people that aren't worth interacting in or interacting with. So it's a trade-off, but, uh, yeah, after feeding the baby, I go in, bring the baby to, to Ashley. We lay in bed for like 10, 15 minutes. And then I go to the gym and, um, the gym's been unbelievable for just like my overall, well-being and mental health and all those things uh have a great crew of guys uh tomorrow bass and levitin are playing basketball one-on-one -on -one. uh we play tennis i've been playing more tennis lately um lift weights occasionally uh, but just overall move around and then I i'm a big sauna guy so I, I, I use the sauna and you know if i'm feeling sore maybe the hot tub shower and go home and feel extremely refreshed and uh ready to just crank it out i, I think my most productive time is you know, the next two hours after being home from the gym, um, I feel just very, very aware and just functioning at a good level. So uh, Twitter, to go back to your question, like I look at it throughout the day, it's, you know, I look at like the screen time stuff. Twitter is my number one. Um, it's amazing. I, I mean, I don't know. This sounds bad to say, I guess, but it's true. I think like the rich people and like successful people are hanging out on Twitter relative to the other social apps. Do you think that's true? Um, that seems fair. Sure. They, they, one person like claimed, like went through it and it was like, they used rich, which I, I don't like, but like, especially in our world, sports news, everything's happening on Twitter. Crypto's happening on Twitter. I think the FinTech and investing world has really gotten, uh, involved in Twitter, which is great. And yeah, there's other just like, you know, news that you can consume on Twitter. So there's a lot of value, but I definitely have times where I'm just like scrolling through Twitter mindlessly and that's like the thing i need to clean up do you have any like hacks for that i mean i know you can set like max amount of time on an app and stuff like that but how, how how's twitter in your life i have no hacks for that uh, my time it varies quite a bit day by day but um i love twitter i'm multitasking a decent bit if i'm watching a football game or something like that or uh it's the best yeah, waiting on something for 10 minutes. That's yeah, if I'm like in line for a coffee or to pick up food or whatever, I like 
yeah, you're checking my, my, my right. Open my phone. I'm either responding to messages or I'm checking Twitter. Basically like Twitter is like the next thing to go to. Like once you've like responded where you need to respond. So in your Twitter thread, you said two hours at the gym was your habit, but that's like all in, you've got some sauna time in there. Yeah. I have um, the executive workout in there. The executive that's the, workout. that's like, and that's part of the atomic habits thing. Like you have to have carrots. So for me, you know, going to the gym every day would be a daunting task in some ways, like certain days I love it, but other days you're like, you know, you don't feel good or you're not, your energy's a little lower, or, you know, you have stuff to be busy with at home. So I, for me, I need something that's like, I'm looking forward to this. And I, I look forward to the executive workout. And then we have a great crew. We have a telegram chat with like 15, 16 guys that are, you know, pretty regular at the gym and the camaraderie is awesome. And I'm a social guy. So I, I love just like seeing my friends competing and whatever. I mean, there's bad, I mean, you'd love it. It's gambler's paradise. There's betting on everything. It's, it's, you know, basketball, it's, you know, body weight competitions, it's pull-up competitions, it's badminton, it's throwing the football. And then the best part is, uh, you know, sitting in the sauna, just chatting with your peers and you feel refreshed. You get a good shower and the sauna to cold shower is something I'm a huge believer in. Yeah, well, we had the the cold plunge challenge. Cold plunge, you were yeah. impressive. I failed miserably. The cold plunge, I can't. I I I actually went back and uh, I worked on my routine. The breathing is critical. Yeah, Wim Hof method, man. I know. I I like didn't. I, I mean, I tried breathing techniques, but I, I worked on it a little bit and I got better. I got two minutes actually. It was my best. Uh, and then the day after, I was like, oh, I got two minutes. I was like really in the zone. I didn't even last a minute the next time. So I still have, I still have a lot of improvement for the cold plunge. So you guys have Levitan in the mix now. He's in, yeah. he's in the telegram chat. He's betting Marsica. Oh, it's the best. I played basketball with him today. He's uh, he moved to Colorado. Uh, he's now officially in like the couple's date nights. Um, love his wife, Lauren. She's amazing. Uh, I think you might've saw Ashley trolled him on Twitter. Uh, he looks nothing like his current profile pick. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, you know, he, hopefully, hopefully he'll be on our trips. I'm trying, I'm like gradually getting him to golf. He's, uh, he's actually, he hits the ball pretty straight, but he has zero power. So he, he has, he has room for improvement in golf, but, uh, I'm going to have to withhold action on this next trip. I'm not going to be, ready. Oh, you're, you're, I mean, I didn't want to, you know, throw you not even Brandon, you you were the king. You were the 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 whole golf trip for 2021. It's the the Brandon Adams golf trip of 2021. I was you you uh I think your golf performance might have been a three or four out of ten years previous, a couple bad chokes, a couple good good plays, but this year I think you were a nine out of ten or better basically the entire time. So kudos to you. Yeah, it's not gonna hold in 2022, that's for sure. Well, I'm I'm no. banking on that. I'm banking on that, BA. I'm I'm trying to get my game better uh, atomic habits what what is the book about it's literally about building habits and i think um i want to find this uh spolstra has this incredible quote it's like people under or people overestimate what they can do in a day and underestimate what they can do in like a month and a year uh patrick o'shaughnessy does that invest like the best thing also just tweeted about how you know, his real change in his life is all through like really small habits. And I'm such a big believer in that. 
Uh, of course, you can have outliers and, and days where you're like hyper productive, but for the most part, if you want to like actually create change in your life, uh, it's going to come through habits. And um, most people uh, need carrots and like um, it's better to try to set up like a small successful habit than like try to create some like groundbreaking huge change. Um, so the book goes through like all the different things that people do um, that they already have habits for. So identifying maybe some negative habits that you already have. Uh, for me, something I'm still battling, like I, I do great in the mornings. Uh, I'm really productive uh, after the gym. Uh, my afternoons are honestly pretty good. And then I lose discipline uh, at the, in the evening, um, obviously correlated with alcohol as well. But um, I make my worst decisions at night, uh, mostly just like bad eating or staying up too late or whatever else. Um, so that's like a bad habit. So identifying those and then like trying to create things that are, are small changes that you can actually stick to, uh, to change those habits is a big part of it. Um, and something that's really worked for me is like tying like little incentives to, uh, to do things. So like, maybe you want to have a habit of like, I don't know, brush your teeth for two and a half minutes or something. Like maybe you play a song or something like that, or do you do, there's something else that like, maybe you have this lotion you like that you put on after brushing your teeth. Um, there's all sorts of little hacks throughout the book that basically like tie something that, you know, you can do that's like a reward to like the habits that you're trying to create. I like it. All right. Well, with you recommending it and Cole South recommending, I think I'm going to have to order that book. It's great. You can listen to it on audible and like, you know, definitely don't need the whole book. A lot of like, there's a lot of just things conveyed and like the, a lot of the same ideas conveyed in different ways. Um, but it's, it absolutely changed my life. All right. Well, thanks so much. We made the 90 minute mark. Uh, I think this is going to be a popular pod. I've noticed anything that touches on crypto is about five X my regular audience. So thank you very much. Brandon. Love you, bud. Thanks so much for having me on and, uh, look forward to this episode and the episodes in the future as well.